Core strength. Working on our core. You ready to get strong in your core? If you've got your Bibles, get your sermon notes out. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 16. Woo! Matthew 16. We'll start reading there in verse 18. Just two verses and then we're going to launch forward today. Core strength. Matthew 16, 18 says this. And I also, this is Jesus talking. He's talking to you. I want you to read this as he's speaking directly to you. That you can say, okay, Jesus, you're saying to me, I say to you that you are Peter. Insert your name, whatever it may be. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, I'm not taking anything away of the context of him building on Peter as a a disciple, an apostle of the gospel. But I'm just saying it wasn't just through Peter that he wanted to build. It's also through you. And on this rock of Peter, the idea of revelation of information coming from God, he says, I'm going to build people up. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, who's doing the binding here? You say, I am. I am. So whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So now we're talking about building the church and building people. And this is the thing that God has put on my heart as we're entering into 2017. That's a year of building. And we had this slide up. If you go ahead and bring this up from last week when we talked about fasting and, and starting the year through fasting. Had all these words that uh, we were putting on, there, on here and what we were talking about. And he's talking about building the church. And he wanted me to specifically make sure we're building a kingdom culture. A culture that matches the kingdom of heaven. So the idea of what is a culture. If you say we need to build the right culture. What does culture mean? Here's what culture means. It's the set of shared knowledge, beliefs, behaviors, attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an organization. Does it characterize your home? So I want to talk about the culture of different areas. I want to talk about the culture of your individual life. I want to talk about the culture of your home. I want to talk about the culture of our church. We're building all of those things. We want to build a culture that matches the kingdom of God. So here's the question. Does what we know, believe, how we behave, our attitudes, our values, our goals, uh, the goals that we're after and the things that we're practicing, do they match up with the kingdom of heaven? That's how we'll know we'll have the culture of the kingdom of heaven is if our values match the kingdom of heaven. So as I was thinking about all this, and again, leaning into this series God began to tell me that healthy cultures never happen by accident. You're never going to have a healthy culture in your life, in your family, in your home, in your workplace, in your church by accident. Healthy uh, cultures happen intentionally. So culture in your life, the culture that you're experiencing is a result of two things. You may need to write these down. Number one, what you create what you're intentional about, what you're doing on purpose, and what you allow. The culture that you're experiencing, the culture we're experiencing in our church, God's saying it's a result of what I create and what I allow. The culture in your home is a result of what you're creating and what you're allowing. What are you intentionally doing? There's an intentional side, and then there's a passive side. What are you allowing? Maybe there's things that you're allowing that God says, I want you to stop allowing that. 
It's not God's best for your life. So if you're not experiencing the culture that you want in your family, in yourself, then God says you better check out what you're creating intentionally and what you're allowing passively. Are there things that you're allowing that God said, I never told you to allow that in your life. I told you to grab hold of that and bind it, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heavenlies. Are there things that you're not intentionally creating or loosing? There's things that you may need to loose in your life that God says, the reason you're not experiencing because you're not intentionally creating that culture. So how do we do that in our lives? We want to see what God wants us to do with that. Remember, you can't change the culture around you unless you change the culture within you. I can't change the culture around me unless I change the culture in me first. So I say, God, start with me. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my mother. Come on, you know the song. <laughs> so the number one force that's going to shape our culture is what we value. If you want a different culture, change what you value. What are the things that you value? What you value will determine your actions. Hmm. What we say this time of year, a lot of people making changes, a lot of people making resolutions, and that's awesome. But we can say we value something, but if our actions don't match up with that, then we really don't value it. I can say I value prayer, but if I never pray, then I really don't value it. I value the Word of God, but if I never read it, I really don't value it. Whatever we value, we will do, and whatever we do is a result of what we value. How many has ever heard this or said this? I just don't have any time. We got all kinds of time. Every single one of us has 24 hours a day. And what consumes our time? The things that we value. So if you're consumed by something you don't value, you've got to be careful because you may have taken someone else's value and made it yours. And now you're spinning your wheels doing something that someone else wants you to do. So we're working on our core strength in this. We're going to build up our core, the core muscles of your body. This is just the, it's not just your abs. It's the whole uh, central part, and it brings stability into your life. It brings stability. When you're working your core, you have a strong core, it brings stability. So what we're going to do, God gave me 10 core values for the church and for me as a person. As I prayed about these, he said, Chad, if you want a certain culture, I'm going to give you values, and those values will create the culture that you're looking for in your life, in your home, in your church. If you want the kingdom culture in your life, then I want you to uh, get these values driven deep into your heart. So I'm going to spend at least 10 weeks on these 10 values. We're going to take some time because we're going to build the core of the foundation of the culture that I believe God's going to build in our church in 2017. So we've got 10 core values. Maybe you see them there. This is not our vision statement. Our vision statement is still for people to discover Jesus, freedom, purpose, and fulfillment. But these core values are how we're going to help people discover Jesus, freedom, purpose, and fulfillment. You see the difference? The core value gives the basis on what you build on. Paul said he was a master builder. And he said, be careful how you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, how you build. So how are we going to build Crossroads? We're going to build on the values that God's put into our hearts. We're going to establish them today. Here's the 10. I'm going to run through them, then just going to talk about one of them. Number one, we want to be with him. His presence means everything. Number two, we do life together. Relationships make us stronger. Three, we're building his kingdom. It's bigger than us. Number four, we pull on the leash. Big faith, big risks, and a big God. Number five, we live generously, freely we receive, freely we're going to give. Six, we bring our A game. Excellence is a reflection of God. Number seven, we take nothing for granted because appreciation is fuel for the future. 
Eight, we live with honor and integrity. We value people and what is right. Nine, we go low and we grow. That means we stay humble and teachable. Ten, we pursue our green. We live from and for his purpose. So let's look at the first one. We want to be with him. His presence means everything. His presence means everything. If we value his presence, then we will pursue his presence. If we say his presence is important, then we've got to look at how are we going about it. His presence is not mystical. Maybe you've been in church for a while or maybe you've never been in church and you hear, hey, the presence of God. The presence of God is not mystical and it's not hard. Here's what the presence of God boils down to, one word, relationship. It boils down to relationship. The presence of God is about relationship with Jesus. Can you walk in the presence of God? Some people think that's too intimidating. They're like, oh, the presence. His presence is his relationship in your life. He wants to have relationship with you. So that's what we're pursuing is relationship. It's been Jesus' desire from the beginning to have a relationship with us. So I'm going to use three examples. I'm going to talk about three people and talk about three different types of presence. I'm going to talk about Adam and Eve. I'm going to talk about Moses. I'm going to talk about Jesus. Let's look at the first one. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Flip there in your pages or click there on your app, whichever you have. Moses, Adam and Eve, Moses and Jesus. Here we're going to talk about Adam and Eve. This is an example of relational presence. Okay, relational presence. Look in verse 8. This is just after they ate the fruit, right? Did what God told them not to do. In verse 8, they heard the sound. Well, let me read 7 also. I don't think it's on the screen, but just, I'm going to read it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam, underline that part, he called to Adam, and said to him, where are you? So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I hid myself. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I want you to see something that God created mankind for relationship from the very beginning. And look what happened. It says in verse 8 that they heard the sound. That word sound means literally voice. Heard the voice of the Lord. So Adam and Eve had a relationship with God so much so that they knew his voice. And this was God's desire to hang out with them, have fellowship with them. He loves us and wants to be with us. He wanted to be with them. So it says there that he had a relationship with them. They knew, their, they knew his voice. How did they know his voice? How do you know the voice of anyone that you're familiar with? Because you talk to them and have a relationship. How do you know the voice of someone who calls you on the phone and you don't need caller ID, you don't need them to say, hello, my name is John. As soon as they say, hey, what's up, you know exactly who you're talking to. Because you have relationship with them. And this is why the voice of God is not supposed to be intimidating. Oh, I just can't hear from God. The reason we struggle hearing from God is because we have too many distracting voices going on in our heads. We have too many relationships. John 10 says this. Let me tell you John 10. It says, Jesus says, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why do they follow him? For they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. Stranger danger! 
When there's a voice that's not from God, we need to consider that a stranger and we need to run from him. See, when they heard the voice of God, here was the problem. When they heard the voice of God, they ran away from God. But that was not the voice of the stranger. That was the voice of their father. Too many times we're running away from the voice that we need to be running to. Why is that? What happened to them that caused them to run away from God? Sin. Sin. What happens when sin comes? When sin comes, sin brings shame. And shame tells you, run, run, run. But sin should not bring shame. Sin should bring a drawing that I realize that, see, in Genesis 2.25, it says, you know, they were husband, wife, they're married, and they were naked and they weren't ashamed. They're just running around in the glory of God, naked and unashamed, praise the Lord. But when sin came, it brought shame. And when shame comes, shame tries to separate you from God. This is the goal of sin in your life and what the enemy wants to do. He wants to use sin to bring shame because all the enemy wants to do is really separate you from God. That's his goal. His whole goal is to break up the relationship. You know those people that you had a relationship and somebody kept trying to move in and break it up? That's the way the devil is. He's always trying to break up your relationship. So he's, he's telling you, listen, don't hide from me. They hid themselves. Look what it says in verse 8. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That means they withdrew. They drew back. God didn't hide from them. They hid from God. It's not like they did something bad, and so God got mad and stayed away from them for a while. This is the picture that the world has too many times from God. If I sin, I need to run away from God because God's mad at me, and he doesn't want to talk to me. So they, we hide ourselves from God. We withdraw ourselves from God instead of running to God because he's the one who actually made the clothes, the tunics for them, and covered their sin. So instead of running away from God, we need to run to him when we sin. Sin should bring us to God, not run us away from God. That's about his presence. We will stay in his presence. Look what God did. Verse 9, the Lord God called to him. He called out to Adam. He said, where are you? He will call out to you. Even if we sin, even if we screw up, God's going to keep calling out to you. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? Where are you, Chad? Where are you, Dave? Where are you, Mona? Where are you, Mary? Where are you? Where are you? God's calling out to some of you. He's saying, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? I'm the one who's going to give you hope. There's a time in my life where I was running and hiding from God, and I was hiding in strip clubs and bars and parties. I was hiding from God. You know what was happening the whole time? He was still saying, Chad, Chad, come out, come out wherever you are. Was it because he didn't know where I was? It wasn't because he didn't know where I was. He was calling me out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's calling Adam out. He said, I'm still calling after you. His presence is still chasing you down. Don't feel like, see, the, the problem with Adam and Eve and the problem with us is we think that our relationship with God is predicated on our, our performance. We think our relationship with God is determined by our perfection. We're convinced at the root. I know we say no because it's not, but at the root, we're convinced that if I'm good enough, I'll have a great relationship with God. What will you say when things aren't going, well, I just haven't been reading my Bible enough and praying enough. I understand we need to read and pray, but the relationship is what you're after, not the tasks of the relationship. See, it's not that I I read my devotional this morning, boom, brownie points in heaven. I saw Jesus put a sticker up there on my chart. No, I'm reading so that I can know him. 
I'm reading to be with him. That's relational presence. This is what Adam and Eve were supposed to have. This is what God's calling us to. Because they weren't hiding from his manifest presence. They were hiding from his relational presence. His desire to be with, with us has not changed based on performance. He will keep coming. He will keep calling after you. God's idea of relationship. You know, God wants your relationship beyond your perfection. Now, now don't hear this. Some people get all weird up and they hear, okay, so you're saying it's relationship instead of obedience? No, no, no. Quite the contrary. It's relationship from, or uh, obedience from relationship. It's not relationship instead of obedience. It's obedience from relationship. I'm not trying to obey so I can have a relationship. I have a relationship so I can obey. Do it out of love, not of obligation. All right, you're tracking with me. All right, let's look at the next guy. Go to Moses. Uh, go to Exodus chapter 20. Yeah, go to the book of Moses. You know where that's at. <laughs> not dealing with the apocrypha. Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read in verse 18. Here's another problem we have with his presence. It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet. This is right after the Ten Commandments, right? So he just give out the Ten Commandments. All the people witnessed, witnessed the power of God and, and the presence of God there on the mountain. But look what happened. All the people witnessed this, the thunderings, lightning, flashes, sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. How many knows that's a pretty awesome little July 4th experience right there? And when the people saw it, look what happened. When the people saw it, they trembled and, next three words, stood afar off. The presence of God manifested. And what happened? They stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, man, this is so important. You speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew, what's that word? The people stood afar off, but Moses drew near. Why did they stand afar off? Here's the problem. This is what I call informational presence. Too many times... We stand afar off when God's asking us to draw near. Here's what happens. Here's what the people said. They, let, they said, let someone else go after the relationship with God, and you just tell us what he says. People began to be satisfied with someone else going to God for the intimacy of the relationship, and you just give me the facts. Well, what happened? This isn't just in Moses' day. This has crept into the church where now people began to be satisfied with someone else having the relationship and I'll show up on church on Sunday and you just give me the information. If you'll give me the information on what to do and what not to do, I'll go about my life. I won't kill anybody this week and I'm going to assume that God's happy with me. I'll try not to steal. I'll try not to, to cheat on somebody, lie. I'll try to do all these things. Just give me the information and I'll go live my life. That's informational presence. God's not asking for that. He wants relational presence with you. 
See, it's not about the knowledge. It's not about getting the information of God. We need to get it into our hearts. God's desire was never for us to have head knowledge. He wants us to have heart knowledge. It was never a desire of God to have a man or a woman in charge that's going for the relationship and all the other people just hear what God has to say from them. He's desiring each and every one of you to go to God and have your own relationship with him. He wants to talk with you. He wants to share with you. He wants to pour things into your heart. This is what he's wanting to do. We're not satisfied with information. We want relationship. That was never his desire. Look what Jeremiah 31 says. It says, I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. He said, I don't want my laws just in their heads. I want my laws on their hearts, y'all. I want to get down in their hearts so they have an affection for me. Matthew says it this way. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How many times can we say the right things? Praise the Lord. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. We honor him with our lips, but our hearts, where's our heart? What we value, we will do. If Jesus has my heart, I will do whatever he says. If Jesus has my mouth, I'll do what I want and I'll say I should have. Oh, I'll say I had good intentions. I meant to. But if he has my heart, I'm not talking about you're going to be perfect. Lord, I hope not or I'm going to be in trouble. But, I, but if he has my heart, then my actions will mirror what I'm saying with my mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks so we got to make sure he has our heart. He wants to speak to us. Go over to Exodus 33. He wants to speak to you like a friend. We sing a song. I am the friend of God. I am a friend of God. Come on. Never mind. But we did sing a song like that. And look what it says in these Exodus. I keep wanting to say Ezekiel. Exodus 33. And I'm going to read there in verse 11. It says, so the Lord God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Anybody want to speak to God like a friend face to face? Guess what? You can do it. You can do it. What I'm praying that God's going to do in your life is he's going to break down barriers where you thought you just couldn't talk to God like that because you can. He's going to do it in your life. I'm telling you, if you just lean into him, he's got something for you. What's the scripture we just read that Lewis gave earlier? That we draw near to God and he will draw near to us. So I'm saying draw near to him today. You say, well, you don't understand what I've done. I'm naked. I've sinned. I know he's got clothes for you. It's called a robe of righteousness by the blood of Jesus. See, that animal that God killed gave them temporary covering. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, came and shed his blood to give us permanent covering by washing away our sins. He doesn't cover our sins anymore. He washed them away by the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's what he did for us. So now, if I know that I have access to that, that if I mess up, if I sin, I can run to him and say, Jesus, I apply the blood. And he says, come on. Come on, that's my relationship right there. No, no, beat me down, Lord. Beat me down. I need to feel like I deserve it. Come on, Lord. He says, no, you got to come up out of that. you got to come up out of that lifestyle. Jesus paid the price for your sins. You don't have to pay the price for your sins. Jesus paid the price. So receive it. That's what he's asking for. So he's talking to him face to face. Look at verse 13. He says, now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me now, look at this, show me now your way that I may know you. What is the purpose of knowing the ways of God so that we can know him? 
Our goal is to know who he is, know his character, know his attributes, have a relationship with him. We cannot be satisfied with informational presence. Well, I just know to be a good person. I know what to do and what not to do. That's enough. That's not enough. I tried living like that. I tried living just do's and don'ts and and obeying and, and not disobeying, and it was frustrating for me. But now if we will pursue relational presence, then he gives you the power to not do and to do you do it out of love and out of affection. And this is what he's talking about, that we know your ways so that we can know you. And look at verse 14. He said, my presence will go with you. Here's what we're wanting. This is what we're wanting in every area. We're building the church. We're building your life, building your homes. We want your presence to go with us, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight? What's going to set us apart? What's going to set us apart? It's not going to set us apart because uh, our, we live a better life or, or we're more moral or our services are better, whatever application, or your home, you got more money than someone else. What's going to set you apart that we found grace in your sight is that his presence goes with us. we got to have his presence on our life. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people upon the face of the earth. He's going to be with us through his presence. The goal, look in verse 13. Fifteen there, he says, if your present doesn't go with us, how many of you have had this? Maybe you've prayed this. I know I've prayed this tons of time, kind of a generic prayer. We say, hey, God, just be with them today. Or, Lord, be with me today. I get it. I'm not trying to critique your prayer or bring any type of false conviction when you pray. But here's something I want to ask you and challenge you with. Is it more about saying, God, be with me Or is it better to say, God, let me be with you? If your presence doesn't go with me, Lord, don't take me from here. If your presence is not in this job change, do not take me from here. If your presence is not in this career choice, if your presence is not in this school choice, if your presence is not in this spouse choice, I need bigger amen from that one. If your presence is not in this relationship, do not take us another day from here. You want his presence. You're not saying, God, hey, just bless our relationship. So that's saying, God, I have what I want. I want your approval. We're saying, God, I want to be with you. I'm not asking you to be with me. I'm saying, God, I want to be with you. And if I'm with you, you will be with me. See the difference? That's the presence we want to pursue in our life. We want him to be a part of it. So we're welcoming him. Let's look at Jesus. Last one. Go to John. Book of John. Go to verse four, or chapter 14. I'm going to give you a couple ahead of that. So now here's what Jesus gives. 1,500 years later, he gives abiding presence. So we've got re- relational presence. Then we've got informational presence. We're not satisfied with that. We don't want informational presence, but we want abiding presence. Somebody say abiding. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus when he was water baptized. He came up out of the water. And the Holy Spirit, maybe you know the story, maybe you don't. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus after he came up out of the water. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit because he was not filled with the Holy Spirit prior to that moment. But then he began to be filled. John 1.33 says this. God was talking to John the Baptist. He said, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining. Everybody say remaining. See, when he remains, says this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about a presence that's going to come and abide. 
It wasn't that the Spirit would come down on the mountain anymore. It wasn't that the Spirit, presence of God would only walk with him in the garden at certain points. It's, it's that now he wants to remain in you and abide in you. Jesus had the Holy Spirit, the presence of God himself, abiding in him. And this is what God wants for us, abiding presence. Jesus said this in uh, John 16. He said, you know, because he's there with the disciples and he tells them, hey, guys, it's to your advantage that I go away. I'm going to leave and where I go, you can't come with me. But it's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, the helper won't come. And we're like, if you're walking with Jesus, you'd be like, Jesus, how could it be better if you're not here? You're right here with me. I can talk to you. I can ask you things. I can touch you. You can pray for people. How can it not be better if you're gone? Look at John 14. Look what he told him. Here's what I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you the helper. And I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you. Say, with you. He wants to be with you forever, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be. One more time, dwells with you and will be. Uh, One more time, dwells with you and will be. In you. In you. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Wow. Wow. Here's abiding presence. Guys, here's the beauty of what we got in the new covenant. Here's the beauty of what we get in the Holy Spirit after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And then the book of Acts, uh, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on the earth. Remember, Moses was led by what? The smoke and the fire. The, the, the cloud by day and the fire by night. And so now the Holy Spirit comes, and he comes to be fire on the inside of us, that the fire of the Holy Spirit doesn't just lead us at night, but it leads us everywhere we go. He's come to abide on the inside of us, his presence to be with us. He wants to hang out with us. He wants to do life with us. Moses had this experience. Adam and Eve had this experience. Jesus had this experience. But I'm telling you, it's not just for them. It's for you. So when we say the number one core value that we're going to build on in our lives, our homes, and our church is that we want to be with him. Whatever you're doing, here's what I'm saying that we need to start reevaluating our life. If he's not with me, why am I here? I could go back a few years of places where I was and he wasn't. And I could think of those moments and I could say, now, God, if you weren't there, why was I there? Because if your presence doesn't go with me, don't move me from here. Sometimes we get antsy. we got to move. <laughs> we got to make a decision. got to make a decision. got to do something. got to do something. Some of you are in that situation right now. I'm just itching. i gotta, I got to make a decision. You don't have to make a decision until you know where his presence is leading. Lord, I will, I'm not moving a muscle until your presence says go. Now, some people, they have the opposite problem. His presence has been dragging them for months, and they're not wanting to move. His presence is saying, come on. Come on, come on, you could do it, take a step. We get so addicted to our routine that we don't want to break it, but God's wanting to take some of you in new territory. But here's what I'm saying by this, we want to be with him. I'm asking you to begin to ask the question about my life, everything I'm doing. Lord, if your presence is not here, then why am I here? If your presence is not in what I'm doing, then I want to stop what I'm doing. 
Church services, if we want his presence, we want his presence. And so we do that out of relationship. God wants to be with you. Some people feel separated from God. So, uh, okay, here's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. I just want to welcome his presence into your life. He says, I want to abide in them. I want to abide in them. And so my prayer in preparation for today was for his abiding presence to come into your heart. If you'll welcome him, he'll do it. So I want you to take a second right here. I'm just going to ask. Father, I thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that you're clothing naked people today. People that have shame, that have run away from you, run back to him. Come on. Some of you hear the words, where are you? He chased me down to the third level apartment in Peoria, Illinois. said, Chad, where are you? Where are you? I'm ironing his shirt, minding my business, getting ready to go out for the night. And he said, where are you? I said, here I am, God. It brought me to my knees. My life changed from that moment. It started, it was a long process, but it started when I heard the cry to run to him. Run to him in my nudity. Run to him in my vulnerability, in my exposure. God never exposes sin in your life so you'll feel shame. He exposes sin in your life so that you'll run to him so he can cover you with the blood of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. We want to be with you. Some of you have been satisfied with informational presence, but today he touches you. (laughs) And it's not enough to know about him. You want to be with him. It's not enough to hear from somebody else talk about the information you need to know. Your heart starts longing for more. And you say, God, i got to be with you. I want my heart. I want my heart to be after you. I don't want to honor you with my lips. But I pursue you with my heart. Holy Spirit, I ask for your abiding presence to come. Set in on every person watching today, here today, overflow room, abiding presence, come. Give him room in your life. Yield. Your relationship with God is not based on your perfection. It's not obedience so that you can have a relationship. It's a relationship that leads to obedience. Father, our core value is that we want your presence in everything we do. Some of you need to make some relationship decisions right now because you have not asked the Holy Spirit 
whether he is in it. You just went in it and asked him to bless it. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, somebody said it's too late. Oh, I don't want to talk about it, Lord. That moment on the third floor when God said, Chad, where are you? I was engaged to be married. It's in December. I'm going to be married in July. I said, God, here I am, but I got a lot of mess I've made. I don't know what to do. He says, just stay with me. Follow me. If you will pursue me, I will help you with the rest. I didn't have to figure everything else out. I just had to change myself. You change the culture within you, and it changes the culture on the outside. Needless to say, our relationship went in a different direction. The engagement was off, and the wedding was canceled. Short story. It's never too late to obey God. You find yourself in a job that you chose that you didn't ask God about. That doesn't mean quit your job today. That means turn your heart to God and ask him what to do from where you are. You're in a career that God didn't tell you to get into. That's not telling you to quit today and put your family in all kinds of chaos. It means lean into the voice of God and allow him to show you the path. Let him lead you from where you are. Lord, I thank you for your abiding presence. 